0: Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnson.
1: And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I met at our first radio jobs and have been friends
0: ever since. We had fun in our 20s as wing women for each other.
1: And in our 30s, we got married.
0: Then we had babies within weeks of each other.
1: Eventually landing the hardest job we've ever had,
0: parenthood. Our kids are 12 and 10, but we'll talk about everything from babyhood to menopause.
1: We want to discuss topics that interest us and you and bring some knowledge to other
0: average parents. We make it look easy. We make it look good. Yeah, we're average, not experts. So we'll talk about the topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts.
1: And I'm sure to embarrass myself along the way.
0: Yeah, after the first season, I'm pretty sure we already have.
1: (laughs) So welcome to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make
0: it look good. Apparently, we're not talking about sex enough. What? <laughs> I don't mean the birds and the bees. I mean consent and assault and rights and respect. Okay. Okay. All right, so hearing the Dr. Christine Blasey Ford story... Oh, yeah. Yeah, made me want to protect my girls. And then watching the now Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh's reaction made me worried about what we're teaching our boys. You have a girl and a boy. Yes. Have you thought about this from both sides? I did when I was watching
1: the testimony, but honestly, I thought more about my daughter than my son.
0: And maybe I shouldn't do it like that. I think that's pretty natural. I think we want to protect what... The people we think might be victims and of course you know boys can be victims too correct but in this instance we're looking at a, a male female
1: mm-hmm. victim
0: versus possible perpetrator
1: uh-huh.
0: um, and you know we we're very protective of our daughters
1: yes it's funny because i have i have older friends uh that have older kids like high school college and the things that they're talking to their kids about I, i'm like oh my gosh we have to we have to talk about like if they're drinking to never put their cup down or um never take a drink from somebody stuff like that like when they go off to college I don't think my mom and dad had those conversations with me when I went to college I'm
0: I know that they did not <laughs> my, my parents were like
1: don't Have drink yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah well so I think one of the mistakes we're making though is that we we paint rapists or sexual assaulters as the bad guy and with a gun in, in an alley or like the the guy in the big white van you know my my littlest one always thinks that a white van means a dog catcher <laughs> um, but our girls aren't expecting danger in social situations they're expecting danger from strangers they're expecting um bad guys yeah do you think kate has even thought about not even a single no Mm -mm. she's she's and honestly
1: i i haven't gotten to that point either i mean they're in middle school so i assume that come high school i mean there's no dating or anything that's going on that she's not even really it's not even talking about boys that much right now
0: they're just all hanging out together in a group at least that's in my experience i think uh, me too i think um I think with Sophie, it's a pack of kids who have yeah. been together for so long that they're sort of um they're not even aware of each other's gender yet. I mean, they know, but they're it, it's not right. it's not on their radar. Right. Um
1: that's our- why I'm glad I have older friends that are going through this so I can take notes when they're when they're going through it with their high school and college age kids so sure. I know what to expect when it comes time to have
0: those conversations. Okay, so that the flip side of this is When we paint these attackers as bad guys, the guys in the alley or in the white van, um, our boys are not even thinking about that. They're saying, you know, I'm a good guy. I would never, I would never be a bad guy. So I don't have to think about this at all. I don't have to think about consent. I don't have to think about, um, possibly reading the signs when someone is saying no. Um, I'm going to guess. Have you talked to Ethan about this? No. 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 Not even on our radar, right? No. Because he's a good little guy, and why would you possibly bring this up? Yes, I. we have not had those conversations. So I think we're going to have an expert on, um, let's face it, our kids are young. Right. But I think they're not too young for us to have these talks. And um, <sighs> I know, I know, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking. But we talk about daily health topics like exercise and nutrition right we should be talking about sex we should be saying just in everyday conversations this Mm -hmm. is what goes on because if we don't we make it sound like we don't want to or it's uncomfortable or there's some shame involved in it and then we don't we don't give the kids tools To talk about it when something happens. Or to
1: feel like there's an open door if something
0: uncomfortable happened that they feel that they can come and tell us. Right. Because one of the things you and I have talked about off the podcast is how do we get our kids to tell us if something happens? Because all we want to do is take care of them, right? Right. So if something did happen and they felt shame... Uh, it breaks my heart because, you know, certainly you want to protect them from something happening, but you definitely want them to feel that they can talk to us if something does happen, right? Yeah, because don't, I mean, when the hearings went on,
1: on my, um, Facebook feed, you know, all these people were telling stories of things that happened to them 30 years ago. And I'm like, oh my God, you've been holding onto that for 30 years. Right. And, and it's just coming out now. And it's people that I knew and went to school with. And I was like,
0: what? Right. And then people say, well, why didn't you talk about it sooner? Which also breaks my heart because that somehow seems to be blaming the victim. Yes. Um, So we are going to talk to our expert here. Nicole Cushman has 18 years of experience as an educator and trainer in sexual and reproductive health. Uh, She served as director of Education for Planned Parenthood Federation of America and co-chair of the Sexuality Task Force at the American Public Health Association. And now she's the executive director of Answer the answer is an award-winning national organization providing sexuality education resources to millions of young people and adults every year so hi Nicole hello hello welcome to the show um all right let's start with the basics Nicole because we are we educate uh just average parents we're absolutely average parents so <laughs> we we start low and we we aim high um so how pervasive is is sexual assault in our country? Hmm.
2: It's a great question. First of all, I would say just from listening to the two of you talk, you are above average. Certainly uh, you're thinking about all the right questions here and, you know, your your hearts are in the right place and you've taken a really good first step by having this conversation. Okay. Um, In terms of prevalence, We know that sexual assault is a truly underreported experience, and that is precisely because of some of the shame and stigma that you already mentioned. A lot of young people and adults do not feel comfortable coming forward about their experiences because they fear that they won't be believed or that they will be blamed as victims. Uh, what I can tell you is that it is a far too common experience.
0: Now, I, I read somewhere that uh, CDC, uh, Centers for Disease Control, uh, estimates that approximately one in six boys and one in four girls are sexually abused before the age of 18. Is that yeah. is that in line with what you know?
2: Yeah, those are certainly the most accurate data that we have.
0: And but as you say, underreported. So it's probably worse than that. Exactly.
2: Ugh.
1: I've heard the term rape culture. Could you explain what that means?
2: Sure. So rape culture refers to a sort of set of beliefs that are really pervasive in our society that allow crimes like rape, sexual assault, or sexual harassment to not only go unpunished and unnoticed, but to actually be accepted and condoned as sort of the normal order of things. So sentiments like boys will be boys or, you know, this is just teasing are pretty common beliefs that underlie a broader cultural system that normalizes sexual violence and contributes to some of this victim-blaming and not-believing survivors when they come forward.
1: So like stereotypes, boys will be boys?
2: Yeah, definitely. That's one example of a pervasive belief system that's part of rape culture.
0: Okay. I read somewhere that you said the sexual assault problem could be solved with better sexual education. What are we teaching now? And what do we need to be teaching as opposed to yeah. what we're teaching now?
2: Well, a lot of our sex education really focuses on preventing unintended pregnancy and STDs. And those are certainly really important goals, really important topics to cover. But we're leading out so many of the social and emotional aspects that surround sexual health that really have to do with relationships, communication, and consent. And if we broaden our view of what can and should be included in an effective sex education program, I think we really have an opportunity to transform the culture and change the way people approach these interactions and think about consent uh, and really re- create more of a culture of respect for boundaries and normalization of open communication about sex and sexuality.
1: That Because my kids all go through a sex ed program through the elementary school. You know, the first one year, it's kind of like your body changes and the second year. It's more the birds and the bees. But that's mm-hmm. as far as I know, that's as far as it ever goes.
2: Yeah, that's pretty common, especially for older elementary or middle school grades. We talk about puberty. We talk about pregnancy and reproduction. And then hopefully as our kids progress into high school, they get more uh, sophisticated information about birth control methods and STDs, but we're doing them a disservice if we're not also talking about consent and about sexual violence in that same context.
1: It's funny you bring up the word consent because I I was on uh, social media last night and I was watching this article or reading this article about this teacher in Los Angeles. I'm, you may have even seen this too. Um, she was a third grade teacher and she mm-hmm. was talking... You know, after the Kavanaugh hearings and stuff, she decided that she was going to talk to her third grade class about consent. Nothing sexual, not but just literally talk about physical interactions and how you deal with kids on the playground and when you ask them and what boundaries are and, you know, hugging or touching or just asking to borrow things or telling secrets and stuff like that and how you can read body language of your classmates when they say yes or when they pause and they're like, mm, okay, you know, You can borrow my eraser or whatever, that that type in that context. So you're already starting. She's already talking about consent when they're eight. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a pretty powerful lesson to know and, and putting it in a different context about just the way you interact with other people.
2: Absolutely. These are topics that we need to start addressing from the youngest ages, but doing it in age and developmentally appropriate ways. So for younger kids, we should be talking to them about how they play with their friends, how they interact with their classmates and with their siblings. And we can be laying the foundation for talking about consent in a sexual or romantic context when they get older and when they're ready. Yes. But what we're doing at a young age is teaching them both to state their boundaries as well as to hear and respect the boundaries of their peers, to be okay with hearing the word no and accepting that no.
1: Exactly, the teacher was doing actually doing role playing um, scenarios as an exercise in the class, and having the kids look at the body language and the tone of your voice. Like, what if you're saying it, you know, with conviction, yes or no, or if it's more ambiguous, like, um, oh, okay. Like that type of thing, and I thought I was showing it to my husband. I'm like, this is this is actually a really good lesson.
2: Absolutely.
0: Hey, Nicole. So this is uh, a confession for me. I have uh, two daughters, and I like to tickle them. And Mm. they. This is a good one. I know. And here's the thing: like they, they'll be like, "Don't tickle," but then they love it. I mean, or. I mean, my, when I read their body language, I know they like this interaction because it's it's it, informal and we've broken down all the whatever discipline. And you know, I'm, I'm kind of the, the hard, right. hardcore mom. Um, am I not allowed to tickle them anymore?
2: No, uh, but I think that it warrants a conversation. So I think that you can talk to your daughters in a neutral context, not when you're playing tickling. around, not when you're tickling and say, you know. I realize that I might be making you feel uncomfortable and I don't want to touch you in any way, whether that's tickling or giving you a hug, if you don't want that kind of touch at that moment. So what I'm going to do in the future is if you say no, if you say stop, even if I'm not sure and I think you might be joking, I'm going to stop. Because I think those words, no and stop, are really important, and they're words that we want to take seriously. And so you can come to some agreement with your daughters about how you're going to play in the future and what words really signify stop, and you can set up some boundaries so that they feel like their bodily autonomy will be respected.
1: That's a perfect example. That's right. happened in my house, and you can tell when when Ethan will be like, "Stop!" Yeah, and you know he he's not messing around. He's like, "Knock
0: it off." Same side of this is when someone comes over and you say, "Give Grandma a hug," right? Ooh. Right? Yeah. Because because if a like, kid... come on, show Grandma that. <laughs> yeah. So if a kid doesn't want to hug Grandma, which is a shame because Grandma's great, uh, <laughs> but we shouldn't we shouldn't tell them
2: to hug people, right? Right. You can give them some alternatives. If you can tell that they're really not up for a hug, you can say, how about a high five or a handshake or maybe just a smile and a wave?
0: Right. Makes sense. As much as grandmas want hugs, you know, because <laughs> yeah. they do. But, you know, we it's a different world. You know, when we were kids and Tracy and I are probably a little older than you, Nicole, um, but, you know, it was kind of mandatory. You gave grandma Oh, yeah. Our, there
1: is no there was no condition. You did it.
0: Yeah. Um, but we sure. need to be. Teaching them that the autonomy that you talked about, exactly. All right, Nicole. So you know, I I researched you, I stalked you, um, and <laughs> and I saw that you talked about taking this message, these messages online, where the teens and the tweens and even younger kids are. Um, tell us about
2: Amaze. Sure. So AMAZE is a series of animated videos that are available both on YouTube and at AMAZE.org. And they're really tailored for young people ages 10 to 14. They cover a broad range of topics about puberty, relationships, sexual health. And we also talk about things like consent and sexual assault. They're short, two to four minutes. They're very funny. They're designed to be engaging for young people in this age group, sure. and they're also designed to be conversation starters for families and for educators to use them at home or in the classroom. So we hope that these are a good resource for parents to sort of open up those difficult conversations, have a reliable, accurate resource to point to And on the website, on Amaze.org, we also have some additional talking points, some FAQs that can help guide the conversation further.
0: I like the tagline, uh, more info, less weird, which (laughs) is great because um, talking to mom and dad about sex can be weird, but kids need to learn about it. So uh, are you saying should parents watch these videos with their kids, or should they watch separately and then sort of just broach the topic after watching? How do you how do you suggest using Amaze?
2: Yeah, it depends on your comfort level. I definitely would recommend that parent wa- parents watch them. Alone first, just so you're familiar with the content and prepared for the conversation. But if you feel like it's um, something that will be acceptable and normal in your family, to sit down and watch them together, that's a great way to start the conversation. If you don't think your kids are ready for that, you can send them a link, ask them to check it out on their own, and then look for an opportunity for the follow-up conversation later. You can look for those teachable moments. And maybe that's, you know, when a certain topic comes up in a TV show that you're watching together Maybe it is discussion of some of the news and what's been going on with things like the Kavanaugh hearings. That can provide the perfect opportunity for you to jump in with some of those key messages that you want to land about consent and about sexual assault.
0: So you just brought up Kavanaugh. Um, What can we tell our girls after Me Too and Kavanaugh, and the, and even if we're not um, putting them in front of the TV or in in front of the radio, what can we tell them about avoiding sexual assault? And you know, my, our girls are twelve, but let's talk from ages ten to sixteen, eighteen. You know, do you, do you have some guidelines yeah. you would offer teens and tweens about avoiding the situations?
2: Sure. I mean, I think the most important thing is for your kids to know that you're a safe person to talk to and that you will believe them no matter what, that you're not going to judge them, blame them, or shame them if they come to you because something has happened that's made them feel uncomfortable. I think that one of the dangers of what we've seen with Justice Kavanaugh and Dr. Ford, is, uh, we've all seen this example now of a survivor coming forward and either not being believed or just having her story be disregarded. And so it's really important that we reassure our children that we will believe them and we will support them. In terms of prevention, I think the onus really needs to be On potential perpetrators and not on potential victims. They can't prevent their own assaults. Now that doesn't mean that we shouldn't give them some of that practical advice that you were referencing earlier, um, you know, if as they're going off to college that they might be around drinking and there are some precautions they can take to try to keep themselves safer, but ultimately It's not their fault if someone does assault them. And so the real important work we need to be doing is, especially with our boys, and talking to them about dealing with rejection, about hearing the word no and respecting it, and not falling into these tropes of either, you know, boys will be boys, or trying to Fit this expectation that boys should pursue girls and pursue sex, no matter what. That really does our boys a disservice.
1: Really, to to not have boys. What, what was it? What did you just say about having boys
2: pursue pursue
0: sex? sex?
2: Well, there there is a sort of commonly accepted notion in our culture, and this is part of rape culture, that guys are going to pursue sex at all costs, that that's sort of this testosterone-driven behavior that they can't help themselves. And so we put the responsibility and the onus on girls to resist and to say no, when in fact, we should be telling our boys that, first of all, it's not okay to pursue sex no matter what, that they need to be having a conversation with any potential partner and listening to potential partners and respecting them, but also acknowledging that that's not what all boys want. Um, You know, boys are often trying to live up to this macho ideal and this expectation that they're always going to pursue, when in fact, many boys would rather take things slower and really build a relationship. And so we want to support the development of that kind of healthy intimacy in our boys.
0: Nicole, okay, I get what you're talking about. I'm I'm thinking of like the, the movie Grease, where Danny is trying to cop a feel yeah. in the car, or <laughs> even like Cary Grant, you know, making the first move. In our depiction of uh, en- entertainment, any media, it's often the boy who makes the first move. It's the boy who proposes. It's the boy who asks the girl to prom. Not always, right. but it has mm-hmm. been traditionally. The boy is the, not aggressor, but the asserter, um, and girls say yes or no. And that right. does, it puts them in, in roles, and, and the girls have to say no, rather than just letting each of them come to it neutrally.
2: Exactly. And then girls will often internalize this responsibility to say no and feel like it's their fault if they get assaulted, because they weren't strong enough, right? They, they didn't stop the assault from happening.
1: Okay, so can you suggest any resources for parents and kids when it comes to assault, like other than a, a maze, is to start the dialogue? But are there other resources online yeah. or organizations?
2: Yeah. So another one of our resources for older teens, high school age, is called Sex Etc. That's S E X E T C dot org. And that's all content written by teens for teens. So we have a staff of high school students that we train to develop all of that content. And they can write about these issues in a voice that really resonates with their peers. They know what's going to be most relevant sure. and most relatable. Um, so that's another resource that I would check out, uh, as well as a website called Scarlatine that has just a plethora of information and resources for young people on these topics.
0: Also, I think parents should read this too because I think that we don't know what they're dealing with. Like I I've yeah. heard that kids, teens think that sex isn't really sex if it's not vaginal. You know, there are kids mm-hmm. who are saying that they're still virgins if they have sex in ways that are not traditional. Yeah.
2: And we have a video at Amaze about virginity and and the challenges with really defining virginity, uh, and how that term isn't always so useful.
0: Ugh, okay, gosh, I gotta I gotta watch that. You've mentioned that sexual education needs to have inclusion. Um, mm-hmm. I think we need to reiterate that. What groups do you think are being left out of the national conversation, and how can we change that?
2: Yeah there's often an underlying assumption of heterosexuality, both in our sex education programs and the way we approach these conversations about consent and sexual assault. So it's really important that we don't make those assumptions and we ensure that LGBTQ young people feel included in the conversation, and that their experiences are recognized and valid as well. We know that queer young people actually experience sexual violence at higher rates Mm -hmm. than their straight peers. So it's really essential that we're paying attention to having inclusive resources and inclusive conversations.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Um, All right, so Nicole Cushman, Executive Director of ANSWER, which is a national organization providing sexuality education to millions of young people and adults every year. Thank you so much for joining us, Nicole.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks, Nicole. All right, so apparently... Ah my gosh. I know, we need to talk about things, and I think we can use the examples from that third grade teacher, and we have to start talking now. We should totally link that that Huffington
1: Post article about that teacher because the whole article is just I, I could even do that at home like it could be a lesson at home you don't even have to have a teacher do it you can just take these lessons and ideas and concepts and 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 make it around the dinner table
0: conversation absolutely and with with our husbands too because we're moms and we're pretty um we're very involved but you know to have male perspective. Yes. Super helpful. And, you yes. Know, I think my girls could learn a lot from what their dad considers appropriate or not.
1: Correct. And for my son, he would want to hear it from dad, too. Like, have the benefit of both parents doing it. Absolutely. So. We talked about transgender and gender fluid. Uh, we did an episode on that and um, I'm sure we're going to be talking about the birds and the bees soon um, because that's something right now for me um, in fifth grade that's happening oh. really soon <laughs> the, the class
0: reluctantly yes, yes.
1: yes. so um, anyway we'd love to hear from you and what you think about all things parenting so you could shoot us an email at what's our email
0: Apparently podcast at gmail.com
1: Check out our Facebook page. Um, It's pretty active there. Or you could give us a call. We have our new phone number.
0: 331-704-0046. This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Thanks for listening to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. When everybody sees it, they stop and take
1: a look. Break yourself